Today we're concluding a series of messages we began 12 weeks ago, working our way through the Apostle Peter's letter to the church in Colossae. He'd been told of the church's situation by a friend, Epaphras. Paul had never met the people of his church, yet he loved them just the same. See, Paul was worried about them. About, he, had, he had heard that there were false teachers in Colossae that were teaching a doctrine different from that which Jesus had given the church. They had people teaching that in addition to belief, that Christians had, had certain practices to observe, traditions to hold, special knowledge that they had to learn. But Paul was telling them, that was reminding them, that believing that it was Jesus plus anything else made less of Jesus because it meant that Jesus didn't accomplish what he claimed to accomplish on the cross. I mean, think about it. If you say that you have to believe in Jesus and you have to be holy, then believing in Jesus isn't enough. Or you have to believe in Jesus and worship on Sunday at 9. Then believing in Jesus isn't enough. But Jesus said, Believe in me, and you will see the Father. Nothing else. So either Jesus was wrong, or these teachers were wrong. Paul was pretty sure it wasn't Jesus, and so am I. He wanted to make sure the church remembered that they had been taught that Jesus was enough to save you. Because Jesus was enough, it changed you. It changed your heart from the inside out. So we've come to the end of the letter. And in this, we find a list of names, and we're tempted to say that's not that important. Look at what he says, starting in Colossians 4, verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one with you, they will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who's also called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Jesus Christ, sends his greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those of Laodicea and Heropolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and her church house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you, in turn, read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry that you've received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Hmm. Wow. I'll admit, oftentimes... When I read the, the end of one of Paul's letters, I've, I've seen these, these lists of people and, and sort of approach it as the credits after a movie, right? Unless you were related to one of the people named, they're fairly irrelevant. Like looking through a yearbook from 1982 from Pine Bluff, Arkansas, right? Just a bunch of names, not meaning much of anything to you or to me. 
In fact, you could read it like Charlie Brown's teacher, right? Wah, 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 wah. But in reality, we can learn a lot from what Paul tells us in these words. In, 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 these, in this passage, we actually find a great deal of wisdom that's going on in Paul's ministry. And as we seek to have a gospel impact here in our community, let's face it, Paul's ministry changed the world. And in these verses we look at, we consider today, we see the qualities that reveal the state of things in his ministry, qualities that would be worthy goals for us as to see revealed in our ministry here in Rock Hall. And matter of fact, our merger team, we've discussed these very concepts as part of what we're planning to see realized in a unified ministry going forward here in this community. We describe them as, as marks of transformation, marks of maturity. Because as our lives are changed more and more, these qualities become more evident in our lives. Our lives and our ministry become marked by these. The first quality revealed in the life of Paul's friend, Tychicus. I know you're thinking, Tychicus who? Tych what? When we think of the Apostle Paul, you see, we, we think of a man with an amazing ministry who started churches all over Asia. We think of someone who, who seemed to have a huge capacity to get things done and, and keep them going. But that's not really true. I mean, sure, Paul was a gifted leader, absolutely. But when we think of the ministry of Paul, there was a lot more to it than Paul. Not unlike when you think of your church. There are many people involved in making it happen. Rarely does anything with, with years of significance revolve around one person. It may start with one, but very quickly it gets bigger than one can handle. And more and more people are involved in making the ministry a success. The first mark is close relationships. Close relationships. Now, you may not remember Tychicus. But, but he has been in the background of the New Testament for, for a long time. The early church fathers listed Tychicus as one of the 70 apostles that Jesus sent out in Luke 10. Meaning that, that he wasn't a recent convert, but he was one who knew and walked with Jesus himself. I mean, he could have made that into a ministry of his own. But instead, here he is delivering Paul's letters. But this wasn't just a simple mail delivery. You see, Paul was in prison in Rome. That was a thousand miles away from Colossae. Tychicus would have to walk across Italy, then sail across the Adriatic Sea, walk across Greece, and then get in another ship and sail across the Aegean Sea. And finally, walk another hundred miles to get to Colossae. Quite a task for an ancient world UPS man, right? I mean, but he did this to deliver three letters in the New Testament. Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon, all at this one trip. And it's believed that he also delivered Paul's second letter to Corinth. Paul describes Tychicus in ministry in the letters of Titus and Timothy. In fact, he even takes over for Timothy. When Timothy leaves uh, Ephesus to go back to Jerusalem, that, that Tychicus steps in as the interim pastor. Paul trusted Tychicus unquestionably. They were close, close friends. But, but what's inspiring of Tychicus isn't just the ways that he delivered the word. He, he had a ministry of presence. His presence with Paul was an encouragement, a resource to Paul to endure hardships because he was doing it with people he loved. And that's the first thing I want us to see in this part of the letter, that any successful ministry, any ministry that, that is transformational is, is, is made up of close sacrificial, trustworthy friendships. Paul trusted Tychicus unquestionably. 
because they were close, close friends. Who could you befriend, befriend in the church starting today? Are you in ministry with close friends? Do you have close friends in the church? I mean, if we, want to, if we desire to become a ministry that changes lives, we need close relationships with one another. Do you have close friendships in the church? No? No one's reached out to you? Well, I understand how you feel. I, I honestly do. When we started going to church first, we didn't know anyone, and God led some folks to reach out and include us. Why was that? Well, maybe God is saying, hey, you, why don't you reach out and develop a friendship with someone you see as new, someone you don't know well? Why not let it start with you? Well, I'm not comfortable with that. I mean, I understand, but, but they probably weren't either. And that's just the first of these five qualities that a ministry that seeks to be, have a lasting impact, transforming the world, must have. The next name that I wanted us to notice is Aristarchus in verse 10. It's mark number two of service. You may have never heard of Aristarchus, but he and Epaphras, who we'll talk about in a moment, had a very important part of the ministry. They actually took turns serving Paul in prison. They voluntarily gave up their freedom to serve the ministry. Man, that is inspiring. They voluntarily made themselves prisoners in order to help Paul's ministry. I mean, they didn't say, hey, Paul is out of the picture. Now, let's step in and take over. Let's move in and, and do things the way we always think. They No, instead they said, Paul, Jesus has called you to do something special. How can we help you keep it going? Aristarchus was willing to serve what God was doing. He didn't need to be, it, he didn't need it all to be about him. He wanted it to be about Jesus, even if that meant he had to sacrifice greatly in order to serve. I often look for places that I can serve that fit my schedule. I mean, I was just struggling with this just this past week. I was considering something, but then I thought, I don't have time for that. Aristarchus, and he would never say that, right? If you're serving Jesus, how can you not have time to serve, he would say. What's a way that you could serve the church today if you made the time? Service is one mark. Close relationships is another. A third mark of a transforming ministry is prayer. Look again to what Epaphras prayed in verse 12. He said, he always, Paul said, he always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect, fully confident that you are following the whole will of God. Epaphras, he knew these folks in Colossae. This was his community. I mean, he knew what they needed, he, and he made it a priority to pray for it. And that's the third mark of a ministry that changes lives and their community, prayer. We distribute a list of prayer needs every week in our weekly email to over 200 people. I wonder how many people see that as a list of real needs for prayer or a place to just get up to date on current events. How many people even cared enough to pray at all? Knowing even that prayer changes things, y'all. The small group that my wife is a part of, they have this bowl of prayers. It sits on our dining room table. And we, we'll pull names out of it to pray for as we, as we go by in the house. I'm, I'm amazed again and again and again that God leads us either individually or their small group to draw out names of people in deep need of prayer. 
mean, there are real needs in our community, and we know that. We say we believe God is our best hope to address them. Oh, would our prayers reflect our belief that God is our best hope. So who would be the first person on your prayer list? Whose prayer list would you be on? How could you schedule time for prayer in your day tomorrow, today? We're going to begin a concerted effort to develop a healthier prayer life in our church that we may become a people of prayer, and I hope you stay included in that. Mark 4 isn't something we ask for, but it is something we need. That is accountability. Paul tells Archippus in verse 17, See to it that you complete the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I don't know if you remember that. None of us likes to be called out for not doing what we know we should. But can't you imagine being called out in the best-selling book of all time by one of the greatest leaders of all time? I mean, that is Archippus. Who was he? Well, we aren't sure. But in Paul's letter to Philemon, Paul referred to him as a fellow soldier. And that tells us something about him. It sounds like Paul thought a great deal of him and his ability. We know Paul thought a great deal of God's call on his life and, and of his own life, right? And, and Archippus as well. This calling was not to be dismissed, but was to have our attention, our dedication, and his focus. Our calling, Paul's calling, was to have his entire commitment. And Paul was obviously convinced of this. He wanted this for Archippus as well. It might be helpful to see this as an encouragement. Maybe, maybe you like encouragement more than you do accountability. Encouragement sounds more positive, I guess. And Paul was, was doing that for sure. I mean, whether you, however you see it, it's important to notice that, that people are watching, that people who support us, who pray for us, people who have suffered for us are, are watching. And they, we are accountable because we have been called. I mean, we all know that encouragement is a blessing. When I say, you're gifted, you are special. God has a purpose for you to make a difference in your family, to represent him at work, to stand for justice. God has a purpose for you to give people hope, to bring healing to broken relationships, to forgive. When we hear that, we start to stand a little taller because we're encouraged, right? I mean, I am. We are. And when I say, how are you doing in your family? Are you representing Jesus at work? How about your customers? Do they know you serve Christ? When have you stood for justice recently? Can you tell me a story of showing people hope? What relationships have you brought to healing? Who have you forgiven? You have a calling. How are you doing with your calling? When we hear it this way, questioning, it gets harder. But it's just saying, hey, you have a calling. How are you doing with it? Both, both are a gift. Encouragement and accountability. Both are a gift and a blessing. So we have close relationships, service, prayer, accountability. And Mark 5 is seen in Paul's mention of Onesimus and Mark. Mark number 5 is forgiveness. Onesimus you may have heard of. Onesimus was from Colossae. In fact, he was a runaway slave. He had escaped his master Philemon, who Paul wrote in a letter to and, and sent with them. He was a runaway slave. 
but under the ministry of others in Rome, had become a Christian. And now Paul introduces him to his hometown as a faithful brother. He's a new person. His past offense was to be forgiven because he was now in Christ and could be received just like any other brother would be received home. Paul said he has been forgiven, now forgive him. The question for us is who do we need to forgive? The other person mentioned here in forgiveness is Mark, who you've probably heard of. I mean, he wrote one of the Gospels, right? Acts 13 tells us that Mark, with Barnabas, was on Paul's first missionary journey, but he soon deserted them. Paul and Barnabas, they got into a heated, a heated conversation over, this, over Mark walking away, and, and they too split, up, split on their next journey. That was in Acts 15. Mark then joined the ministry of the Apostle Peter. Now, remember, Mark lost trust with Paul when he deserted him during his first missionary journey. But here we have Mark working with Paul once again. Paul tells the church to welcome him. Now, he, he says, y'all may have heard stories about our beef, but, but welcome him. In his letter to Timothy, Paul will even call for Mark to come and comfort him in prison. The question for us is, are we walking in God's forgiveness? Mark is a great reminder that God is not finished with you. Even if you failed, everybody has a past, but your past doesn't determine your future. Your next step does. And that step can be into God's future for you, or it can be into your past mistakes. God is the God of second chances. And just as Mark was restored to ministry, God can restore you as well. All of us need forgiveness. All of us need restoration in some way or another. Maybe you turned this video on today in desperate need for a fresh start. I want you to know that a fresh start is one decision away. And that decision is to accept the love and forgiveness that God offers us through his son Jesus. We claim it when we turn to God, when we turn from our mistakes, from our hurt, our failure, and turn to the one who can, who can keep his promises, who can when we can't. Do you want that? If you, do you want that? And if you do, and I'm sure you do, then pray with me. Just pray, Lord Jesus, I need forgiveness. I need a second chance. I want to start over. I know you love me and gave your son Jesus that I may live. I thank you for new life. I want to live for you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, God, to show me and teach me how to live in freedom. Thank you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Amen. You just started your first step. Now, these five marks that I, that I laid out here for the church to emulate, I don't want you to make the mistaken thing, and yeah, they should. The church really should do that one. Someone ought to do something about that. The church is people. And Paul is, Paul's ministry is a group of people, people in ministry, just like the local church, called to be in ministry with one another. That if we want to see transformation coming from our ministry, we need to be involved in these same things. Is there one that you need to claim in your life? Forgiveness, prayer, accountability, service, close relationships? Which of these marks of, of maturity, of transforming ministries, do you need in your personal life? As a follower of Jesus, you're a minister. You want to be marked as a transforming disciple of Jesus? You want these to mark your life in faith? 
I know you do. If you want your life to be marked by these, we're going to pray that the Holy Spirit would come and equip us to live these out because it is Jesus that changes us. We don't have to change in order for God to love us, but when we trust Jesus, when we respond to his love for us, salvation, he begins to transform our desires. All we do is cooperate with what he's doing. <clears throat> he's calling you to forgive. He's calling you to pray, to encourage one another, to hold some other accountable. He's calling you to serve. He's calling you to love. So let's just do what he's calling us to do. Let's start with praying. God, thank you for what you're doing in our life. We ask you, Lord, to fill us with your Holy Spirit that we may be faithful to your call upon our life. God, you are good, and your goodness knows no bounds. We thank you for what you're doing, Father God. Restore us, renew us, bolden our faith. We love you. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I'm glad you're here today. I invite you to join me in our benediction that's here on the screen. Life is much more than an accident. Wherever I go, I believe God needs me there. Wherever I am, I trust God has put me there, that he has a purpose for me being there. Christ alive in me, wants to do something through me no matter where I am. I believe this and go in his grace and his love and his power. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. I hope you have a fantastic day. Sing his praise aloud. Oh, awake my soul.